So today we're going to be talking, um, continuing our red letter promises. In particular, today we're going to be talking about when Jesus said that I am the bread of life and the one that comes to me will not be hungry and the one who believes in me will not be thirsty. Let's, let's open up in prayer, please. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for this morning. Thanks for um, the kids' songs. And I just pray that um, the kids will just know that God has a plan for their life, even even a young age that um, he's already at work building ideas and things into their into their life. I pray that you'll help me to communicate my uh, my thoughts that I think you wish me to share this morning. Thank you that you are the bread of life and you've given us something very relatable to associate with. Uh, be with us this morning, Lord, and thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Okay, so um, first thing I'm going to share with you are some images of, of bread. So bread. Bread is a you know a basic staple in this in, in our diet, consisted of flour, water, oil, salt, yeast, and it sustains us, it nourishes us, and sometimes it comforts us. I'm gonna share a couple of pictures with you, some specific kinds of bread. This is Christmas, some Christmas memory. My mother used to make uh, some cinnamon rolls that looked something like this. This next one is more of an Easter memory. It was a sticky buns. That was kind of an unusual thing for us to get back in the day. And this next one, um, these are called sourdough biscuits. My mother had this container in our refrigerator that she fed sugar or fed flour every now and then, and it just kept growing. You know, I think it was supposed to be healthier. It was also supposed to be cheaper probably than buying loaves of bread. But every time we had it, it tasted a little different. It looked a little different. It was always good and nourishing, but I just realized as I was thinking about bread that we kind of associate different things, different times in our year or different times in our life with certain kinds of bread. This uh, last one, this is sprouted bread. Because I'm a diabetic, I eat this more often than other kinds of bread because it, uh, my blood sugar can handle it better. So perhaps some of you <clears throat> are also, you know, maybe your doctors told you to knock out the knock out the bread, knock out the carbs, or maybe you're gluten free. If this is the case, then your relationship with bread might be might be complicated. <clears throat> but whatever the case, you can relate with bread because you understand how it nourishes you, you've had it. So it's no wonder that bread is a part of Jesus' story too. And so this morning, I'd like to look at how Jesus referred to himself as bread and how he met various needs and why it's important to daily consume this bread. We're going to be looking at chapter six, but in chapter four and five, Jesus has been healing. Uh, chapter four, verse 46, he's healed a nobleman's son. And in chapter five, He's healed a cripple on the Sabbath, which has called the Jews to want to kill him, to kill Jesus. And in chapter 5, verse 19, he's clearly stating that he's working just as his father is working. He's declaring his equality with God, and he's describing um, to the witnesses, uh, he's describing the witnesses to this truth. Um, again, I'm not going to read the whole passage of John 6, but we'll basically be looking at John 6, 1 through 40. So if you haven't had a chance to um, open, get your Bible, just if you want to open that up and we'll be kind of looking through those verses. So when we move into John 6, uh, we've just left these areas where Jesus has been healing as, you know, the things he's done are, are getting around. But now he's going to a different area, and soon the crowds follow him. And it's, it's, it's because of these miracles that they've seen and heard about. And so he comes to a place where there are 5,000 men. That's just the men. There's other people there too, probably. But there are 5,000 men. This is a picture. I wanted to give you an idea of what this 
what do 5,000 people look like? This is 5,000 Santas. So they're not even all in the screen, but it's as close as it could get. I just think we kind of, we hear, I mean, most of us have heard the story so many times. I think we lose sight of the fact that he had started with two fish and five loaves, and he fed all these people with two fish and five loaves. I mean, it seems absolutely, I can't even comprehend that, but it was clearly a, mir a miracle. And he had leftovers. So he saw a physical need and he met it. And he, he met it abundantly. And so to, to me, this is an amazing example for us. Do we pay attention to see the physical needs around us? And when we become aware of them, do we meet them? And if we do do those things, if we see the need and we meet them, are we done then? Is it as simple as that? See the need, meet it, move on? I don't know. I, I don't think so. And we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. So anyway, the crowd, the crowd that he's fed, they begin responding and Jesus senses what they're thinking, and he withdraws. And why does he withdraw? It's because they wanted to make him a king. Um, and who wouldn't want a king like that who can just feed a crowd, you know, in a moment just like that, unexplainable. But Jesus wasn't an aspiring pol political leader, and he wasn't a mere man like we read about in history or the men and women that we know. He wasn't looking for his own interest. You know, a lot of times people will help others, but it's really to help themselves or help empower themselves or for their own selfish gain. Sure, somebody else gets helped along the way, but they're really about themselves. But Jesus withdrew because he was about his father's business. Now, after this, Jesus will rejoin his disciples by walking across the water. And that's a story for another time. We're not going to get into that today. But um, the next day, the crowd catches up with Jesus. And then this time, Jesus doesn't play around. But he goes straight to the heart of the matter when they, when they show up. And I think part of that's because he's been refreshed. And he's been reaffirmed by the Father in his time alone with him. And I think that's a great example for us to follow, to, to constantly stop and regroup and spend time with God to help us stay on, on task, on to stay focused. And I also believe that Jesus knew the crowd was going to follow him. Earlier, I mentioned that he met the physical need and he, he met it abundantly and that we should do the same. But Jesus eventually did more than just meet this physical need. And here, where we're going to pick up, we see him going deeper and he's pulling out the underlying spiritual need that they had. I think perhaps, perhaps he knew that they were too stuffed from all their fish and loaves. They wouldn't have heard him when they were filled like that. But now, they're hungry again, and so they come back and they're engaging him. So let's look at uh, how Jesus responded to the crowd, because I think he's giving them instructions, but he doesn't just want to win a debate or win an argument with them. He, he wants their hearts. So Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you were filled, uh, because, because of the loaves and you were filled. So he sets about to distinguish between physical and spiritual food. I kind of do a little diagram how I would kind of envision this. So there's physical food, which when we take that, physically nourishes us, and then that leads to physical life. But we know that our physical bodies are going to wear out, we're going to perish. So he's contrasting that with spiritual food. So when we eat spiritual food, we'll have spiritual nourishment, which um, will lead to spiritual life, which is enduring. So um, Jesus knew firsthand the physical needs that the people were experiencing. And he, he also knew that that wasn't going to be enough to meet their needs. And we read about it 
Early on in his ministry, when he was tempted by the devil to turn stones into bread, Jesus answered Satan when he was tempted this way. He said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's in Matthew 4, 4. And similarly in John here, we're going to read that in John 26, 27, Jesus tells him, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, the Father of God has set his seal. So he says, don't work for food that perishes. And the verb tense here literally means stop acting or stop an act. Oh, wait, I started right. <laughs> to stop an act that's already in progress. Uh, so they were already working for something that wasn't going to last. And Jesus tells them, work for what I'm going to give you. You see, there's work involved, but it's not for a wage. It's something that's worth working for, but it's a gift. So that, that's one to really think, think about. So it's, it's worth working for, but yet it's a gift. And now the other thing I want to just point out is why should, we, why should they or why should we even listen to Jesus on this subject? In the latter part of that verse in John 6, 27, he says, the son of man on whom, on him, the father God has set his seal. So he's been sealed means he's been approved. So Jesus is saying, listen to me because I'm approved. I'm sealed and approved. And I find it really interesting that he, they don't really challenge him, him on this question at that point. Maybe they were just too hungry and they weren't, <laughs> they were already set that they wanted this food, but interesting that they don't question him. But if we move on, following verse, um, verses, John 6, 28 to 29, the crowd said to him, what are we to do so that we may accomplish the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So if we look closely, I kind of underlined a couple things. I, I'm underlining, they say, do, what should we do that we may accomplish the works with an S? of God. So if you notice, you know, they're still trying to make this thing that is more complicated. There's, you know, there's a lot of works. There's a lot of things that they have to do. But Jesus says, no, no, it's just one thing, work. And the work that we need to do is believing in Jesus. The work is an action. We are involved in it. We are doing something, but it's a sim simpler thing. It's not as complex as multiple steps that have to be done. And I find it interesting, this is almost the exact same way of thinking that the rich young man had uh, that we read about in Mark, sometimes called the rich young ruler. So uh, I'm just going to read through this. So this is in Mark 10, verse 17. And he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey. Oh, sorry, the man was setting out on a journey. And a man ran up to him, to Jesus, and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do so that I may have eternal life? What shall I do? So they might have eternal life. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Do honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth. And looking at him, Jesus showed love to him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But he was deeply dismayed by the words, and he went away, grieving, for he was one who owned much property. There seems to be something in us that 
just makes us want to earn our place, to do, 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 to work, to earn our place, to earn our right. And in the case of the rich young man, he felt pretty good about what he was doing. And then Jesus, at least initially, it seems like he's, he's, the young man was probably really passionate, like, oh, even this guy thinks I'm doing a great job. But then Jesus asked him to do one more thing, and he's asking him to believe. And in his case, it, to believe meant to forgo all his possessions and come and follow Jesus. But to the young man, that was too much. He, he didn't think that he could do that, and he went away sad. So he goes away sad. So what's the crowd going to do? So when we look at the crowd, when Jesus gives them the same kind of choice, telling them to believe in him, the crowd wants a sign. And I don't know about you, but when I read this, I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? You know, that, that's how you even heard about Jesus to start with, with all the signs that he was doing, all the healings. And then he just fed this crowd that you were part of. The word for, uh, in the story where it says he was, they were filled. The word filled actually literally means they were gorged. Like they were, they were stuffed. They were, I mean, what could they possibly want? And then the crowd goes on to say that their fathers received manna in the desert. And so we learn from that, that they're still only thinking about physical food. They're only thinking about the the here and now, the, the immediate needs. And so Jesus continues with, with them and he shares, uh, he says, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus continues and Jesus said to him, to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry. And the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you, that you have indeed seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. <clears throat> and this is the will of him who sent me, that of everything that he has given me, I will, not, I will lose nothing, but will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and who believes in me, in him, will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Again, that, that long stretches from John 6, 35 to 40. So did you see what Jesus just did there? <clears throat> we can see that in this story that Jesus has moved from meeting their physical need of food, and he's moved towards the most important thing, the gospel. He's just shared the, the gospel with them, the, the ultimate, the ultimate best thing they could ask for. Obviously, Jesus has wisdom going for him just because well, he's Jesus, right? But how are we to be able to see these needs around us? And how are we to know how to respond? Well, in John 14, 26, as this verse on the screen now shows, um, we're reminded that he's given us his spirit. It says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and will remind you of all that I said to you. And we can also uh, learn from Jesus by his example of getting time alone with God, where he can regroup, like I mentioned earlier, and refocus and stay on task. And in, that, in Mark 1.35, it mentions that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. We don't necessarily have to go off to a solitary place, which might be really challenging for some of us where we live, but we can find a quiet place in our house or 
on a street somewhere, we can listen, set a, an intentional time to listen to God. Now, sometimes um, we may find that um, we become aware of something that we don't have the resources available uh, to meet this need that's at hand. Um, but God does, as, as, um, as we're reassured in Philippians 4.19, Paul says, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So the last thing I'm going to share with you is, um, I'm just putting up on the screen here, this is the um, what we know as the Lord's Prayer, it's from this version from Matthew 6. So when Jesus instructed us in the manner in which we should pray, he gave us the Lord's Prayer. And part of that, as you all know, it says we pray to God, we say something, not necessarily these exact words, but give us this day our daily bread. I hadn't really um, thought about it like this way before, but it seems to me that the Lord's Prayer's reference to bread could also be a reminder of us that we need to be aware that he's got the spiritual food that he continually wants to give us, and he's offering it to us each day, in addition to the physical food that we need. I just want to encourage our saints today that um, let's let Jesus, the bread of life, sustain us. Let him nourish us. Let him comfort us. Let him define us. Let him define our days and just who we are. And let's share this bread with people who are still hungry. I mean, we need to meet physical needs, but there's people who are hungry spiritually who they may not even realize that they're hungry. And let's pray that the Father will draw them to himself. And let's pay attention and remember that we ourselves, we need him. Let's not get in a place where we just get busy in life and just even forget the basics of coming to him and asking him to help us. So let's pray. Lord, please help us to not to forget to include you in our life. Lord, we need you. Lord, help us to seek your guidance and your intercession in our circumstances. Help us to join you in the faith journey of those around us, whether they're at work or at school or in our neighborhood. And Lord, help us to encourage one another in these habits. Help us to encourage us, encourage one another to look um, beyond ourselves for the good of, of your glory, Lord. And um, we pray all these things in Jesus' name.